I love therapy, and in fact, I've been going to therapy since I was around six years old. Though I talk about therapy a lot and may interview some therapists on the show on occasion, nothing that is said in this podcast should be considered a replacement for therapy. If you are struggling, I urge you to please seek guidance from a therapist because you are absolutely worth it. Everyone, you are listening to Wine, Dine, and 69, a podcast about dating, relationships, sex, and self love. I'm your host, Rachel Dalton, and it's my birthday. Well, it is if you are listening to this on the day it comes out. If you're listening to this on any day other than May 20th, it is not my birthday, obviously. Um, anywho, we're going to be a shorter intro today um, just because this is a lengthy interview. Uh, But I feel that I would be remiss if I did not draw attention to what is happening in the U.S. right now, which is um, the attack on Roe v. Wade that is happening. And I am going to be honest and say that it has been something that's been in my, like, periphery. Um, I've had a lot of stuff happening just right in front of me. In the last uh, month or so, so um, I haven't been able to really dive into it as much as I should, but I did, you know, get a news alert about a law that Oklahoma is passing um, (laughs) that is just ridiculous, banning abortion past the point of fertilization, so, like, (laughs) at all. Um, Anyway, yeah, I what I think I'm going to do is, you know, there are lots of places where you can donate, like Planned Parenthood, obviously, please donate to Planned Parenthood, and the ACLU, Um, but I think I'm going to try to come up with, between now and the next episode, I think I'd like to come up with, like, a list of uh, different resources and different information, um, just for myself, and if I'm going to do it for myself, I might as well share it, right? So, uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot happening in the world. You would think that COVID is still happening and you would think that, uh, things might settle down a little bit, but things just keep on going and going and going and going. Um, anyway, yeah. So I wanted to just draw attention to that because I don't think that I mentioned it in, um, the last couple episodes and, um, it is extremely sobering to get these news alerts throughout the day you know you're just living your life doing your normal things sipping your tea at your desk or at least that's what I'm doing and um yeah you just get the news alert and it's so easy to become numb to it right like especially like I was just saying if you have like a ton of stuff going on right in front of you in your personal life and of course you know you need to you can't pour from an empty cup, right? So you need to prioritize that. But, um, you know, my schedule is going to ease up a little bit and I don't want to be numb to news like that. Um, I want to get angry. I was talking to one of my friends just a couple days ago and I was like, hey, remember when we had like the fucking energy to travel to Washington, D.C. and to uh, do the march the women's march um (laughs) and she was like yeah where did that energy go like just I don't know uh life keeps moving but we have to make sure that we are taking the time to keep up with what's happening outside of us um and that's something that I think I want to try to do going forward um now that my life is kind of settling down a bit so Anyway, just wanted to touch on that. I will work on getting some of those resources together and I will put them in the episode notes of next episode. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited for you to meet today's guest. Uh, Jenna Matlin is somebody that I've known for a number of years. Um, I think I'm not sure how I found her exactly, but I I was kind of dabbling into getting interested in tarot again. You know, I 
went through a phase when I was a teenager and um, I started, you know, just getting kind of curious and I wanted a real reading. And but I didn't want like, you know, we kind of talk about this in, in our conversation. I didn't want one of those people who, you know, is, is trying to guess what's going on in my life. And what I like about Jenna is that it's a very therapeutic approach um, to tarot. It's very intuitive. And I kind of touch on it here and there, but I've had some truly excellent um, readings from Jenna in the last five years, I guess. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, and, you know, I also just really admire her as a person. Um, she is truly so empathetic and lovely and really cares about her clients. Um, there's just a, a warmth that radiates when you're in her presence, even if her presence is, you know, through a Zoom screen, which uh, my last few sessions have been. Um, yeah, so be sure to pre-order her book, Will You Give Me a Reading? And she also has a couple other books out there too. So check those out as well. Um, and yeah, I hope that you, like she says, have an open mind and uh, be curious, right? Like if it's something you don't know much about, I don't know, it could be a cool, a cool tool. Give it a try, right? Um, or at least listen to the episode if you're curious to learn a little bit more about it and then, you know, we can go from there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's it from me for this episode. I'm going to jump right into it. So everyone, please enjoy my conversation with Jenna. Hey there, I'm Megan Martin and I put the manic in Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And I'm Janelle Megan and I'm a self-proclaimed Bond girl and I make every conversation way too deep. We are both professional actors, producers, and models. Cause and Creation is a podcast where we talk about all things creative, including interviewing other awesome artists that are breaking new ground. We'll be taking a deep dive into who they are, the work they do, and more importantly, what moves them as artists. You'll get an inside look into the minds of award-winning filmmakers who are promoting new content, writers who are on the first draft of their novel, video game designers who are creating a whole new world from scratch, and so much more. If you want to get to know a creative, or just want to get to know us. Come hang out with us at Cause and Creation every other Thursday. Cue the applause. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, I am here today with my friend and my intuitive, Jenna Matlin. Jenna, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing today? I'm good. I um, am so excited to talk to you. I feel like most of the times that I talk to you, we're in a session. And so it's kind of fun <laughs> to pick your brain about uh, things outside of that and just kind of get a sense of, of uh, the practice that you do because you do so much. Um, and kind of tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about what you do and kind of how you got involved in this work and the different um, tools that you use. Yeah. Hey, so uh, everyone can find me on my website, which is jennamatlin.com, which is my name. Um, I have been a full-time intuitive for the last 11 years. Um, I, uh, yeah, I work with people with where they're at. So using a variety of intuition, tarot, tunings, mediumship, uh, a variety of different, uh, kind of interventions and tools to help people get from point A to point B. Um, and so that's that's what I do. That's what I do. Yeah. And I um, I love that the way that you work is different from a lot of psychics that, you know, I have interacted with in the past. I, I think that we actually talked briefly about uh, one in the Philly area <laughs> that, you know, has a <laughs> tendency to like, don't tell me anything. I'm going to, I'm going to guess. Um, and you know, sometimes, sometimes they're right, but sometimes they're not. What I love about the way that you work is that you say, tell me about what you're going through. No bullshit. I'm not going to try to guess. Um, you tell mm -hmm. me where you're at and then we are going to go ahead and figure out kind of un, I come to you when I need to uncomplicate something. Um, mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that, like why you do things a little bit more differently than than a lot of other people out there. It, it seems more genuine to me personally, but tell me your thoughts mm -hmm. on it. 
Well, I think that there is a shift happening in the like intuitive industries, for lack of a better word, uh, from this kind of more old fashioned idea of like smoke and mirrors and incense and all the bells and whistles that accompany the mystery of this process. Um, and, and even the mysticism of this process. Um, but I find that my background also have a master's degree in organizational psychology and executive coaching that we're really using um, sessions as an intervention uh, in a way that's a helpful tool rather than the show of, ooh, I'm psychic. I'm going to tell you something you don't know. Like that's fun and good. And I enjoy those at times, but I don't do this work to be put on some like rando pedestal of, uh, of being a seer. Right. I'm really like, I want to use these ancient tools and this connection to non-ordinary and non-local mind to help people with their lives and what's keeping them stuck in their lives or things that they feel confused about. And so for me, sessions are really about truth telling. But honestly, it's not me. Like I, I tell people that I'm really just like a, a glorified court reporter. <laughs> you know, where I am getting messages and I'm trying to faithfully um, pass them along as as easily as I can uh, so that that person understands. Um, and so, yeah, maybe that's the difference, but I think there's more people like me than ever before. I think that the style that I do is more what we're seeing now where there is that like intuitive coaching, intuitive therapeutic modality that's kind of wrapped up into one another. And I think, and my hope was when I started this business 11 years ago, that it, that we would see tarot readings or intuitive readings in the same way we might see someone getting a massage or mm. someone getting whatever, that it is just a helpful practice to keep people in a healthy place in their lives. Absolutely. And it's funny, you know, when people ask me about tarot and, you know, how I use it and how I depend on it, et cetera, et cetera. I always tell them about this experience that I had with you where we were mm -hmm. asking, you know, do do I want to have kids? This was maybe three or four years ago. And um, what was so interesting is I didn't know how I felt about it. I was trying to figure it out. But my reaction to what you told me, mm. told, like that told me everything about how I felt about it. Because mm. when you told me, I don't know that you need kids to have a fulfilled life, I felt so much relief. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny that what you're told and how you react to how you, what you're told can be a tool in and of itself, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that just honestly devastates me in session is how often people will start crying and say, oh, I'm so sorry. And it just strikes me as what kind of society do we live in where tears are seen as a burden or witnessing yeah. tears is seen as a burden? That's, there's something really wrong about that in my, in my opinion. No, absolutely. No, it's it's a uh, it's such a cool experience to be in in a reading with you because you are, you know, such an empathetic person. You do I have no idea how you do it and that's actually another question that I have for you is how you stay mentally sane because of all of the empathetic work that you have to do. But I guess I'm wondering like what are some I guess, empathetic tools that you use when you know you're meeting a client for the first time. How do you pick up on their energy? How do you use different tools like the cards? Or I think um, you do other things like, uh, you do like birth chart readings, don't you? Um, a little bit, but not not so much. Yeah, you're mo I, I think I've like done almost always tarot with you. So mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. like just kind of tell me about what do you, what are those tools that you use when you are meeting somebody for the first time and you're kind of trying to 
of course, you're having them tell you, you know, what's going on in their life, but you're picking mm-hmm. up senses about them. Just tell me kind mm-hmm. of what that what that feels like. Mm. Um, there's a lot of lot of different questions in the question you just I asked. I'm like, let me pull them all apart. Um, so the the work of empathy is incredibly important, and it should not be confused with empath. And I think a lot of people confuse those two. So I say that all the time. <laughs> oh, you do? Oh, good. Yeah, yes. I do. So like an empath is someone who is like, oh my God, like I'm totally like picking up on her energy and I just can't deal. Like that means you're really over-identifying uh, with the emotions. And that's useful if that's your mode of like intuition. However, empathy is there has to be space where you could put yourself in their shoes, but you're not necessarily feeling their feelings or that there's a, there's a bit of a, a, you know, some space between that. So yeah, to be empathetic is a tool that we can all get better at doing and we can actually train ourselves to be uh, more empathetic by nature. I think that uh, I grew up in a very dysfunctional uh, and I had a cruel stepfather. And I think when you're someone who has been in, a, in an abusive family system, mm-hmm. you usually go one of two ways. One, you, you take on those cruelty markers as a way to survive or because you know how much suffering you have gone through that you become more keenly aware of yeah. the suffering of others. Absolutely. It's either you repeat the cycle or you're like, no, I'm going to be the one to break it. Right. And so I remember at the age of five, like crying when the neighbor's boys would step on ants. And I've always been uniquely <laughs> attuned to suffering. So, but I think it's it's something that we can uh, we can train to do better and I know this is a little off topic, but while I'm here talking about empathy, I'm really seeing that our society is becoming much less empathetic as a whole. And I I don't think that's a good direction to be moving in. I completely agree. So so there's that piece, the empathy (laughs) piece. Um, And yeah, you're right. It it is, anytime you have a job that has a lot of emotional labor, it it is very exhausting. which means that I have to limit how many readings I can do in a week. Right. And I have noticed when I start feeling a certain way, okay, I need a break. When I start talking about myself too much, injecting my stories too much, that tells me that I'm needing some self-care or I need to be cared for. Um, If I find myself in a place of judgment, rather than just space holding, I need to take a break. So this is a work, a type of work that does not scale easily because there's only so much within you. And then you have to take those breaks so that you can um, heal that muscle or rest that muscle as it were. The other part of that too, though, is having really strong boundaries that are really good and healthy, which is, it's a, it's a tough space to be for a reader because readers typically really want to help people and are empathetic and sensitive. That's the nature of doing this work well. But you also have to have these like really ironclad boundaries because if you don't, the risk of burnout is very real. Yeah. It's a tough it's a tough spot to dance and not many people who get into the business stay full-time for long. There are very few people who've done uh full-time like myself in this way this long because it is a it just really requires a very strange unique set of skills. <laughs> so, I have that does that answer your question? Yeah, it does and I think you took a hectic very chaotic question and turned it into a three-part answer very beautifully. (laughs) So good job on that. But yeah, I think um, 
I, I do agree that the empathy is something that is being less less prized and it's something that uh, we need to, as a society, push back against that trend mm-hmm. in the way that it's going. Um, and I also think that, I don't know, I, I wonder... I wonder how boundaries work in a sense because that I mean that's a big lesson that I'm learning right now is is how to set boundaries. And I'm wondering how that works in a path in a career path in a in a job where so much of what you do is about vulnerability. So are there ever any situations where like you're in the middle of a reading and you have to how do you go about setting boundaries in in the middle of a reading or in the middle of a situation like does it ever take the form of needing to cancel a reading because you know you you know that you can't give your all um what what do those boundaries look like yeah well <clears throat> i'll give out i mean i have so many examples <laughs> that's great i mean, I mean look, asking yeah. for a friend <laughs> yeah all right uh and looking back over the years, I have I cringe at the ways that I did not hold on to boundaries. And every time I didn't, I never benefited from that. I just felt used. Right. Um, so I find that, well, for example, um, I read for somebody who was in was a in a in an affair situation, married with an affair situation. And a couple weeks later, uh, I this person's wife shows up. Oh boy. And wants a reading. But it was less about a reading, but maybe suspicious of me or wanting intel or whatever it was. And of course, I had to end the session. Right. Um, and people are often unhappy with that. Um other times, I'm telling people things are coming up in the reading they don't want to hear and they're upset. So part of my boundaries are also my internal boundaries about I can't take your response to this that I'm yes. giving you on. Um, it's not like boundaries. I can't take on the fact that you said the reading was wrong, which sometimes the reading can be wrong. Sometimes it's intentionally wrong. Sometimes... You didn't listen to all the things that had to go with that prediction. Right. So now yeah, it's wrong it's because always, you didn't. It's always moving. Right. Exactly. So those boundaries are about how I need to listen to feedback that is helpful and also how I need to create boundaries around feedback that's really not mine to carry. So that's a part of it. Um, another part of it is really strong. Like you can only make book appointments through my website, through my online scheduler, jennamatlin.com, everybody. <laughs> um, you, you know, you can't blow up my phone at 10 at night wanting a reading. Th- th- there's just a certain way that things have to happen. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. You know, I've had someone zoom in and then be like, oh, I can't do this. Can you read for my family member who's also here randomly and you know and it's just like no this is not how i operate and sometimes people are mad because people um you know boundaries are really a measure of mental health not only your boundaries but how you respond to other people's kindly applied boundaries yeah. so often people will be upset with my boundaries but i know that i've done the right thing just by that reaction. Right. So so I've had to stop sessions in the middle and say, that's not what I do. I don't do readings based on questions that make me feel icky, like the ick factor, Mm -hmm, which is, mm -hmm. I want to know about my ex-husband's and his new wife or whatever. I'm not going to go spying on anybody. (laughs) Oh gosh. And Um, that just sounds like hurtful to the person who's inquiring, you know? Yeah, it's not taking them to their best self. And and yeah. maybe I'm not the judge of what your best self is or means for you. I just know that when something kicks my ick factor yes. inside, I personally cannot be party to that. 
And I'll let people know I have stood up from my table and have pointed to the door. Um, so having a really, and you know, here's the thing that's really ironic to me. I've had a lot of jobs in my life before I did this. And what's so crazy to me is that in this role, in this position, I am more honest than I have ever been in any role. Like crazy radical honesty, like no white lies, like what is coming through is it. But I'm now in an industry where I am given more suspicion than in any other time in my in my life. And it's sometimes really hard to juggle that. Yeah. But to be a good reader, you have to have a very clear sense of like what your moral compass is. And that that's that's what keeps me going. Yeah, I, I just I really admire like the strong sense of self that you have. And I mean, I'm just I look at it and I go, wow, like I want <laughs> I strive, I strive for that uh that inner peace that you know you you seem to have, but it sounds like it's been hard won. Yeah, yeah. There there was definitely like when I was younger, I think getting older has helped that. <laughs> you know, when you're younger and you look young, people will think that they can walk all over you. So being older has definitely helped that, that people don't try those kind of things. And then just feeling really okay with myself. I think that's yeah. part of it too, is that when we are really okay with ourselves, then that gives us the power that we need to feel the boundaries to keep us healthy. That's part Absolutely. and parcel of it. Yeah. Boundaries, intuition, like they... I'm realizing more and more that two of them really do go hand in hand because you need to listen to oh, your intuition to know what your boundaries are, right? Um, and when you mm -hmm. said when you said uh, your boundaries and how you respond to other people's boundaries is a good indicator of your mental health, I <laughs> I just was like, oh, maybe I'm not as fucked up as I thought that I was <laughs> because I'm, I'm really I'm I'm pretty good at respecting other people's boundaries. Mm -hmm. when they make them clear. I think the thing is a mm -hmm. lot of people are not very good at making their boundaries clear. Yeah. Yes. So I, I think that's an interesting thing too. But um, Well, people another... have been taught that boundaries are bad. Yes. If, often if they've been uh, you know, raised by a narcissistic person or abusive person, they have gotten it very deep inside that to say no or they can't or they won't means that they're bad. And, right. um. And that's just so problematic. So much, so much of the world could be healed just by people being really honest with themselves and each other. And you can, uh, this is a, I've been thinking a lot about nuances in human interactions, right? Like recently, just from some experiences that I've had in my life. And it's not an either or situation. You can mm. be kind and be empathetic and still be direct. Yes. You can state your boundaries and also, you know, be kind and think about how would I feel if this was said to me. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think I'm realizing like as I'm getting older, I'm like, oh, wow. Like I used to think that people in their 30s like had it all figured out and I'm just like, Abs they absolutely <laughs> do not. Um, but there's so much nuance like and both can exist. You can, you can set boundaries. You can express how you're feeling very directly and be kind at the same time. And I think that you're right that we're heading into a direction where people are having a harder time doing that. Yes, very, very much so. The culture is swinging um, towards a lot more passive aggressiveness yeah. Yeah. than I Social think is help. healthy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that, but also if you're direct and you're kind, maybe someone may not hear it that way, you know, right, and right. you have to let go of that and, you know, just be like, I'm, I'm telling, I'm speaking my truth and I'm trying to do it in a loving way, but loving doesn't mean that I don't tell you this. Right. That's called codependence. Yeah. Um, which means I'm going to manage my truth to, I don't know, like have power over or manipulate your reactions right. in some way. 
Right. And that's super duper duper unhealthy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I guess I have a question about intuition and um, (laughs) there is anxiety, there's ego, there's Mm -hmm. intuition, there's your gut. What are all the differences between these things and how do Mm -hmm. you – because I know for me that I'll be like, ooh, I'm worried about this thing or I'm fixating on this thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if it's my intuition or if it's anxiety. Like what can people do to really feel like they're tapping into their true intuition, their true gut? Right. That's such a great question. Um, I think there's really three processes happening Um, and they're subtle. You have, you have like that gut, like your gut brain, your enteric system is your second brain. And it often can alert you to danger before. And so science is finding that our systems are not top down, which is like your, your brain brain then rules everything else below it through the, via the brainstem in a top down kind of process. What we're finding is it's much more complicated than that. And we have what's called the enteric brain, which is your gut brain, which has so many neurons. Like that's why it's called your second brain. Right. What we're finding is that this this enteric brain can also influence your brain brain, so bottom-up behaviors. So the enteric, Uh yeah, yeah, there's some really incredible research coming out um, that's looking at this in a way that mimics intuition. Like your enteric brain senses danger before your conscious brain and often can get you to act before you actually have cognition about it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you have that piece. Um, then you have, so what comes with that? Like a feel like, like your gut, like I, there's something in my gut that's not right. It's almost like a smoky, uh, like undefined sense of unease or something doesn't feel right, right? I stopped um, eating two weeks before my last breakup. Yeah. Like oh it, my god yeah I, I knew that something was wrong I knew that something was happening you know that is so important because yeah that uh, food and nutrition is all part and parcel of that that's why I mean it it manufactures your serotonin so this is why when people get on um, you know like Zola Prozac whatever um, often they're nauseous. Because Mm -hmm. it's stopping the gut from reabsorbing the extra serotonin. So how you eat, when you eat, how much you eat is all connected to that sense. Yes, that's such a perfect example. So you have that. Then you have anxiety. Anxiety is accompanied... um, I feel like anxiety, how I know anxiety versus other things is anxiety often comes with a commandment. Like you Mm. must do this thing. You need to stop doing that thing. You need to not go here. You need to not whatever. Like it's trying to get you to do that. And it tends to be very loud and there will be a sense of panic often with it. Yes. (laughs) Mm. So when there's a control element to it, like you're trying to control something on some level and that there's a, there's a a cascade ritual effect that happens with it, which is, for example, anxiety. Um, Don't, don't go out tonight. You you know, I don't know. You don't have the right clothes or whatever, whatever it is, right? Some social anxiety. So you see that there is the anxiety, but then there's a commandment that comes with it something that it it's trying to get you to do or not do in order right. to make it feel better. And that do or not doing often works against you rather than for you in the long term. So then you go, okay, oh my God, I'm having so much anxiety. You know what? I'm not going to go out tonight. I'm just going to like stay in. And the moment you do that, that anxiety can often like quiet. Yep. But then anxiety is like a, I always say it's like a land war where every time you lose the battle, it gains ground. Mm-hmm. And so 
when we see these people that are shut-ins in their homes or whatever, they got there off of a thousand of those little decisions. Yeah. So with anxiety, I, I have learned for myself that like, like it's a point where I go, I will not do what you're telling me to do. So if you're telling me not to go out, F you, I'm going to go out for 10 minutes because you're not the boss of me. And then you usually find that if you can sit with that discomfort, it's almost like you're at the beach. You can try to run from the wave and it's going to slap you and knock you down. You can brace yourself and it's going to hit you in the chest. Or you try to dive through it and pop out on the other side. That is that jujitsu move, that anxiety, that when I work with anxiety, that's what is really helpful for me. Sometimes that anxiety and that gut feeling, gut, the gut feeling will create anxiety or fear um, to get you to do, do something. But I find that the gut, the gut, it's a much more subtle, it's typically a subtle action. And it won't be, usually when people have anxiety, they have their triggers. So this would be something outside of those known triggers. The final piece is the, mm, let's just say clairvoyance or, or clairsentience, that there's something non-ordinary showing up. And the acronym that I use for that is, I call it FUMI. It's fast, it's unemotional, multiple impressions. Hmm. Okay. I'm writing this down. So <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm going to go out tonight. And then all of a sudden, like a thunderclap. There's a voice or something that says, don't go out tonight. It's often not emotional. You'll have emotions in response to it. Like, oh my God, I shouldn't go out tonight. Like, really? But it tends to be very fast. It can sound like a voice. It can just be like, I know this thing to be true. But it's no emotion with it. Hmm. Okay. Is that helpful? No, it truly is. I mean, I feel like I asked my therapist this question and uh, got a very... Um, less intuitive answer, I guess, is the only way of putting it, <laughs> or a less emotional way of of explaining it. Um, but no, that makes complete sense. That the intuition is is like a is like a lightning flash. It's just something that pops in in this moment. That's like this is fact. This is something you should do. This is something that you shouldn't do, etc. Right. And so if we really want to split hairs, intuition versus psychic ability are not the same thing, sure. though they're on a spectrum. So intuition, to intuit something in people that are naturally more intuitive are using a, a processing style a, you know, in their brains, a processing style where they're getting to the answer, but it's unconscious, it's below conscious thought. And then kind of the answer pops up. That is one thing. And then you have the psychic stuff, which is that, but like way more. It, it, it's a spectrum. So the difference between the more kind of standard definition of intuition, there's always like, oh, well, you knew this. Like you had this information somewhere inside of you and you unconsciously crunched the numbers and then just voila, the answer shows up. But when we're talking about psychic ability, we're talking about answers showing up that that you know may not make sense or or you couldn't have known or you didn't have the information, which take us back to those people like, I want to see what you know if I don't tell you anything. Right. right? They're right. trying to get it, they're trying to get at that, but it doesn't work that way necessarily. So it takes a tremendous amount of bravery to just blurt out the things that pop up when you don't have context for them. Yeah. As an intu as an intuitive or a psychic. Um and they may or may not be helpful. So, it's kind of like psychic charades, like you're getting like an image feed really quickly. Um sometimes an interesting one for me is as I'm working with a client, I will hear them whisper in my ear in their own voice the thing that they need to hear. Oh, wow. And I don't know who that is. May, is that like a higher self 
is talking to me going, tell her she needs to know she's loved right now. But it's always in the client's voice. Um, That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's when I listen to it and I and I say it, that's when a lot of breakthroughs happen. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, um, and it's amazing that you're able to be like this mediator in a way between, you know, what people need to hear and where they're at currently. Like you said, you meet people where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important because the other thing too that comes into that back and forth that I talk about when someone comes in for a session is I always see sessions like someone comes in and then there's this like, especially if, if it's our first time together, there is this initial little dance that we have to do of me trying to figure out what this person is really wanting um, and where they're at. Because often what people say and what they want are different. Oftentimes people who come in are, well, they'll go, I don't know why I'm here. And then we're talking about this terrible marriage that they've had to leave. You know, like there is a meandering process. So that piece comes into play with the back and forth. But the other part too is what people want out of a reading is different. So I kind of look at it from a Maslow's hierarchy of needs Mm-mm. kind of situation. Like some people want readings that are more about, am I going to get rent made this month? Yeah. Is my mom like, like the lower of the rungs of baseline needs? Then other people come in. And they're more interested in the higher aspects of like purpose, mission, soul journey, whatever, whatever. But it takes a conversation for me to understand where are they on the pyramid so then I can meet them where they are. Because for me, consent is so important. Yeah. That I'm giving them what they want and then giving them options for more than that if they want it. Right. Yeah, no, that... um. That's a really good way of explaining it. I feel like I'm going to need to re-listen to this and take it notes or make a ringtone or something <laughs> to go back and revisit. But um, I guess if we're, we're getting into like the love, you've, you've learned a lot about love and relationships in your time as a reader because I imagine that that's probably like the number one thing that people want to know about, right? Mm, mm, absolutely. Yeah, yes. I, I figured. Um, what What do you look for in a reading? I mean, you're using – Mostly, Tara, are there particular cards that you look for in a reading? Um, are there particular, you know, cards that come out that are red flags or green flags? Like, just mm. kind of, I guess, walk me through that process of what you're looking for in a love reading. Mm. Well, the first thing I would want to say about that is this. Um, people often wait too late to get a reading. And so I always say, like, come and get a reading prophylactically, you know, like, <laughs> like as you're just meeting somebody or as you start dating, like we want to, because readings to me are really about, like we're on a ship, right? And we're going somewhere and we're in the ocean. A reading is you getting up into the crow's nest at the top of the mast and holding your spyglass out to see what's ahead. Are there any ships ahead? What's happening ahead, right? But often people don't think to get readings like that. They want to get readings after the ship has already crashed into the right, coral reef. Right, right. Expecting a miracle. Yeah. And um, that is when they're very hard sessions. So the first thing I would advise to anybody is don't wait until after the cancer diagnosis. Like go get your checkups on the regular because tarot is more about that spyglass, like what's a few steps ahead and then you can make course corrections than this is the definitive future forever and ever and you have no choice in it. It is written in the Holy Scrolls. F you, just whatever. Right, Good luck. Right. Well, it's right. all about like this, when I, my understanding of tarot anyway is like on the path that you are on, this is the most likely, you know, outcome. That doesn't mean that it's set in stone though. Oh, not at all. And yeah. it's the most likely right now. So I tell right. people reading is often like, you know, Scrooge and the the ghost of Christmas future, right? If you remember that story, mm-hmm. the ghost of Christmas future uh, takes Scrooge and shows him his grave and is like, no one was here. No one cared about you because you sucked the end. 
And then he's like, all right, have a nice night. Good night. <laughs> right. And then, and then Scrooge wakes up the next morning and he like, he's a changed man. It's up to him. Yeah. And to me, that is the power of a reading, which is, all right, like you're, this is consequences. This is what this is looking like. This is what's happening. Um, but what's fascinating to me after doing so many, so many, so many readings is that a tarot reading is giving us a future, not the future. Like you said, it's probabilistic, but also the the future that we're being shown is very much crafted to get the querent or the client to do something, not do something, see something, not see something, whatever. And it's more about like the universe breadcrumbing a person to be them best self, their best selves, more so than this is the even just the most likely future. Because I've seen readings go intentionally wrong on people, and mm-hmm. I know that because it was like, okay, I've got to get this like wild animal over into this pasture over here, but I have to do it in a series of stages. Otherwise, I'm not going to get him there. Right. Right. So, for example, I had a client. Um, I'm, um, I, I hate this job. This other job I'm applying for is it good? The reading's like, yeah, it's great. Six months later, Jenna, you said in the reading that this job suck was great, but it sucks. Oh my god! Uh, what? And you know, and then we do another reading, and what what came out of it was it was the second job that was the really great reading, great outcome. But she couldn't have gotten to that second job without right. the crappy middle job right. leap. But if the reading had said, this is going to be a bad job, she wouldn't have done it. You see right. what I mean? No, absolutely. So it's really tricky and really crafty in a really dynamic way that is so far beyond how most people think reading operates. Like, I don't even know what to say about it. But it is a magic and a, a wonder that I am so thrilled and humbled to be able to witness every day. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, just thinking back to like different readings that I've done with you, I look back and I'm like, yeah, wow. Like just what I love about my readings with you is that it's the focus is always on the self and how like you can be a better person to Mm -hmm. yourself and to the people that, that you love. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's, what's like so incredible about the work that you do is it's all about how do you connect to this this version of you that is the higher self. It's really mm, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And and honestly, I'm not super interested in trying to define what that is, you know? Um, I'm okay with being like, I don't really know this beautiful, mysterious, benevolent thing that seems to be moving through these readings. Um, I, I'm just going to be in place of being open to it when it shows up and, and really being in a place of conveying the message as clearly as I can and get trying to get myself out of the way of doing that. Um, so, so coming back to love, right? Like, <laughs> sorry, was, I keep getting on these tangents, but when it no, comes to I, love. I love it. I mean, <laughs> here's the thing though, right? Like if your love and your relationship life, and that's what I say about this podcast, is that it's a podcast about dating, sex, relationships, and self-love because at the end of the day, if you don't have that connection with yourself, then everything else is going to be in not the best place either. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do a lot of relationship readings, and I can say that in my own life, that my vantage point of watching relationships has made me so much wiser in my own life. Um, and the themes that typically come out, you know, and here's the thing, when people are in happy relationships, they're not usually coming for a, a love reading, you know? Right, right. Um, so I definitely have like a biased viewpoint, don't I? Because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is who comes to me. Um, but one of the things that if I could impart this lesson is that people need to cut off relationships far sooner than they normally do. Mm -hmm. And I've never seen, I very rarely have seen relationships work out where someone is like sticking it out 
when the other person isn't really doing the work. Right. Um, that we can't invest in potential. It has to be actual. Yep. Um, but there's so much fear of scarcity. And so I really hate like that idea of soulmate twin flame. I hate it because 98% of the time, whenever anyone in a session with me says, Oh, this person's my soulmate. It uniformly means some kind of narcissistic, abusive trauma bonding, love bombing, something or other. Um, but it's often very unhealthy. Sure. And so other readers will use this kind of spiritual bypassing to make people happy. So it's not uncommon for people to come to me and say, well, all these other readers have told me that this is going to work out. And it's like, well, then why are you getting another reading? You know, it's not true. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you wouldn't be here again. Mm-hmm. So the unethical readers will tell people what they want to hear because they want a happy customer. And it's easier. Of course, I want someone to leave my my reading room or my sessions happy. You know, oh, I, I want that more than anything. But that's not, my work is not to make people happy. My right. work is to just try to communicate the message. Well, you're not in customer service. <laughs> like that's not, <laughs> that's not what you do. Like you are, but it's in a, a, a therapeutic way rather than a, the customer is always right way. Right, right. So like lovingly attending to, lovingly attending to what shows up and being as empathetic and kind, but direct and clear as possible is yeah. always my goal. 100%. Are there any specific like um, layouts for cards? Uh, the word is completely escaping me right now for some reason. But like, you know, I, I use a Celtic cro- a spread. It's called a spread, Rachel. I use like a Celtic cross <laughs> spread here. Are there any particular spreads that you use for love readings um, that are your go-to or any particular cards that you look for in in mm. these readings? Like what kind of like walk me through some of that? Yeah. Well, with spreads, they they change just depending on, you know, truly understanding what what it is that the person needs. Um, but cards that I look for, so, you know, danger cards for me often are like seven of swords, the card Mm -hmm. of the thief or the devil, Mm -hmm. um, or the moon. Uh, the more I see of those cards, often it is an indication of cheating or infidelity in some way. Sure. Um, or with the devil that the relationship is maybe very sexual, uh, Mm -hmm. but it's not but it's mostly that <laughs> and that there could be a, an element of toxicity in that um, right. that shows up. Um, one of my happy cards like that I, that's a non uh, traditional way of looking at it is I like when the sun card comes up in yeah. relationships because that indicates that there's a friendship there as mm-hmm. well as the other things. So I look at that um, and I look at, and it's funny because I'm going to be doing a conference in Dallas at the end of the at the end of May. Uh, but the conference, uh, I'm going to be doing a workshop called Tarot Tinder. Oh, fun! Um, okay, yeah, where you know Tarot has 16 personality types in the court cards, mm-hmm. and a powerful reading with a good reader is someone who knows those personality types well. Because what's really important actually is uh, being able to tell somebody who the person they're dating is like or why they're having uh, incompatibility issues with their partners because the court cards really express that very beautifully. Um, And once I got that early in my tarot practice, I really lean on that technique almost the most out of it, all the techniques that I do when we're talking about love readings with others. Interesting. So, I find the court cards to be like some of the hardest. Too. Oh, they're amazing. Yeah. I'm going to change your mind. Like <laughs> you can you can see attachment styles through the court cards. So okay. if you have a, um, let's say you have a 
queen of cups and a king of swords in relationship. It's really often very clear because king of swords, they can sometimes be um, avoidant. <laughs> avoidant. Yep. Bing, ding, bingo. And then you have a queen of cups who may be like, like anxious, preoccupied, mm-hmm. like they want right. to draw in. And so you can tell people that, but when they see it in the cards on the table, it, it just really makes it real and clear in a way very few things do. Yeah. I mean, they tell a story. I mean, the, the, the cool thing about the original Rider Waite tarot deck is that like it tells a story through the entire deck, but mm-hmm. like not only do they t- does the deck itself tell a story, but the the way that they're laid out. I mean, I know that in readings with you, you know, you've you've said, oh, well, this is the direction that, you know, the the horse is pointing in this card. You know, I mean, even mm-hmm. things as small as that can really make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, um, when I teach tarot, I, I definitely look at, there's, there's 12 layers to a reading and directionality is one of the layers. Um, Mm -hmm. other layers are what's the tone. So I take my tone and how I convey the message from the cards. So sometimes let's just, there's like a million ways to say, as an example, Jimmy is not coming back, right? Dude is mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. But there are a million ways that the tarot could actually s- convey that message. And they can say it in a soft way, like, oh, honey, you'll be fine. Like, but he's not for you. Mm-hmm. Other times, it's like a bitch slap of the universe yeah. of like, this is not working, girl. So <laughs> it begs the question, not only is there information, but why? is the information being conveyed in this way? Why is this the tone here? And that's another layer. And do different, like, do you use different decks for different tones or, you know, do different cards have their own tone? Like, how do you kind of dig into that? Um, I definitely use different decks for different things. Um, And, you know, the funny thing about cards in general, and I'm still trying to figure out what is the mechanism of this, but cards that read really well for me in sessions are not always the same as cards that I like looking at. Mm. Because I'll buy a deck going, oh, this deck is so beautiful. I love it. But for some reason, it just doesn't speak. It doesn't sing in a session. And then all of other decks, I'm like, eh, they're okay. You know, like, I don't love them. But they, they read like the devil. They're just like amazingly accurate and clear. And I don't understand the mechanism of that. But um, in terms of like love readings, I don't have special decks. I do have some decks that have more nudity or more violence. And I may change it or shift it depending on my client's sensitivity levels. Sure. Okay. But in of itself, no, I don't have like, oh, this is just for love. I do have like some decks I do just for mediumship, but that's that's the only delineation okay. on the level that you're asking that I do. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, what if you had to like kind of boil down, I mean, you said get readings earlier. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big thing that you've learned from love readings and um, don't stay in things longer than you should. What what are some other things that like if you had to like wrap it up the top like five things I guess that you think mm. that you've learned from doing these readings over the years? Mm. Often we can approach love like as if the person that we're with like the analogy I use is like like you're on a on a life boat, you're in a life dinghy in the middle of a vast ocean and you see nothing but water around you. And there's this level of desperation um, and also scarcity thinking mm-hmm. that if, if you, it doesn't work out with this person, that's going to be it. But what I've seen is get out of the boat, stand up, the water's like three inches, <laughs> um, <laughs> that the universe is gloriously creative and dynamic. And the only people who often don't find love often have some trauma or pain that's stopping them from finding it in whatever way. But there's an abundance of love. There is. 
And the sooner that we go, yeah, this isn't working. So I would say, say no early and often. Mm-hmm. And also don't, mm, the clients I see that are single year after year after year on the whole are the ones that say, well, I don't, I don't do online dating or I don't do this or I don't do that. And I just don't like it. You're saying no. So to me, it's like, how do you look for a house? How do you look for a car? How do you look for a job? Right? Yeah. That you put out there. You put yourself out there. And there is a metaphysical idea of attraction and also uh, manifesting. Why are we holding love in this weird other category where the only way it's going to work is if, I don't know, you drop your books or whatever and you bonk (laughs) heads as he picks it up for you. Like that's just not, or he's going to deliver your pizza because you're never getting out of your comfy pants at home. That we have to be part of that call and part of that search. And for women who, who is who I normally see, we're not socialized to be active like that. Sure. Yeah. We're socialized to look pretty and wait. Right. So there's a shift there. So I'd say it's a numbers game. Get the heck out there. And, but say no early and often. Say no most of the time, but you have to do it in order to get comfortable with it. Yeah. And so when someone comes for a reading, they're like, am I ever going to get married or whatever? They're always looking for like, what is that final outcome card? Which is more about them assuaging their anxiety. Yes. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Rather than, oh, listen to all the cards that lead up to that. This is all the things you have to do too. Right, right. Because I'll have people ignore all of that. And I'll be like, you know, I see someone showing up like, you know, in October. Well, November 1st, they call me up and go, Jenna, where's my man's? I'm like, well, did you do blah, 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 blah? And they're like, ah, now. (laughs) (laughs) We are in a co-creative relationship with the universe. It's a dance. And we're we're a partner. And sometimes we lead and sometimes the universe leads. But we have to to dive into that. And that's the way forward. So those are some of my biggest lessons. No, I love that. That's incredible. And um, you also are an author, a published author, and you have another book coming out soon. Can you tell us a little bit about all of that? Yes. And thank you so much for um, giving me the space to mention it. Uh Um, I have a book called, Will You Give Me a Reading? It will be out in November 8th of 22 uh, by Llewellyn. You can pre-order now. That's a huge deal. Please pre-order everybody. Please, please. but it, it talks a lot about what I'm talking about. Like, how do we, how does someone who reads tarot be a good reader for others? What does that require? What does that demand? Um, and so I hope that people find it helpful. It's um, all of my, all of what I've learned along the way. So, yep, that's what's yeah, coming up. That's amazing. And um, let people know, uh, you know, you already said your website, Jenna Matlin. You also have uh, some social media things, although I know that social media has been just hell for readers lately. So. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm on YouTube under my name, Jenna Matlin. I'm also on Instagram, Jenna Matlin. Um, I'm intermittently uh, active <laughs> in those places. Um but people can find me there for sure. Um, I have a few um, classes on demand that they can access through my website. And I have a newsletter where I send out fortunes every week on Monday and then let people know if I have classes or things that they they may find interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, the fortune, yeah. part of my Monday morning routine. <laughs> do you really? Do you check them? Yeah, Is it every I week? Do. Oh, yeah, I do. Oh. Yeah, I get in my inbox and then like usually if I'm like drinking my tea at my desk, you know, I'll I'll do it before leaping into the work week. Mm. Oh, good. Perfect. I am reading them. (laughs) 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 And they're quite, yeah, they're quite uh, inspiring. So I love that you use a different deck every week. Yeah, I definitely like to switch it up. (laughs) Yeah, it's exciting. But um, yeah, is there any any last things that you kind of want to share that you want to promote that um, you know, you want people to take away from this conversation? Um, just uh, have an open mind. Uh, give it a try. If you've never had a reading, I think everyone should have a, a reading at least once in their lives. Um, and I hope that this talk um, 
just as maybe catalyze things within others uh, mm-hmm. around the nature of the universe and their place in it. And uh, just thanking everyone for tuning in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot. Going to go back and listen to this a lot. So <laughs> paste, paste some of the quotes on my forehead. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so thank you so much for being here. Um, and again, that's uh, jennamatlin.com and the book, Will You Give Me a Reading um, in November. So thank, thank you. So much this for has been, today. oh gosh, me too. It's been, it's been a treasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, This has been Wine, Dine, and 69. I am your host, Rachel Dalton, and let's keep talking. Mm